exactly does it mean to share your hotness? We all have our own unique spark. We are burning out of control like a wildfire, attracting attention, but is it the right kind of attention? All around us are people who are campfires. They don't get as much attention, but their story, their signature spark, their heat that attracts us close to them, those stories need to be shared. On this podcast, we're sharing their stories. Their stories of resilience, overcoming, how to find joy, happiness, everyday people who found their spark and made their life amazing. Hello and welcome to this episode of Share Your Hotness with my guest today, Al Richards. And I'm super excited to have Al on because he is a truly inspirational person. Al has um, overcome how many years of addiction? It was eight years. Eight years. And now he didn't just overcome it, but he also helps other people. So I'm really excited because Al is somebody that I met, I think, um, towards the end of, you know, the beginning of your sobriety. And I was super inspired by you and just thought you were so cool and so real. And um, I've been able to watch your journey as you've gone from recovering to holding to inspiring and advocating and educating others. So I'm excited for what you're going to share. Thank you. <laughs> and he did the cute little like namaste thing, which, yeah. you know, so cute. <laughs> you know, I, I, I love a good nod to God. So, you know, that, that, that works for me. So tell yes. us, go into it. Tell, tell my listeners more of you about you. Wow. Well, you know, my, my parents moved to West Jordan when I was nine, so it was about 1972, mm-hmm. grew up out here, loved it. And, you know, went to Bingham high school, was a so-so student. I didn't like school. So as soon as I was old enough to drive, I did a lot of sloughing to go hunt because that's all I wanted to do was hunt, you know, but never, never got into the drugs or anything like that. Right. Um, I didn't even really start smoking pot until like two weeks before we graduated. And then after I graduated, I started working for a construction outfit here in Salt Lake City doing television cable because cable was very popular at the beginning of the 80s and ended up getting transferred to Colorado and worked in a little small town between um, Greeley and Fort Collins. It was called um, um, Wickenburg, not Wickenburg. Gosh, I can't even remember the name of it. <laughs> anyway, just a real small cowboy town, really. All farmers, right? Right. Everybody wanted cable. So we were like celebrities in a town. Even being 17, they invited us into the bar and we would sit there after work and drink some beer and party and have some fun. And and uh, one of the guys that I was room roommating with who I met, he was from Oklahoma, came over one day when some of our other friends was at a bar in Greeley. And uh, he broke out a little bit of cocaine. Mm. And he asked if I wanted some. I said, oh, no, 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 absolutely not. You know, John Belushi just passed away from overdosing with cocaine, right? So I was was scared to death. You know, I'm like, no. Anyway, as the night went, we had a few more drinks. Pretty soon I'm like, you know what? Yeah, give me one of these. I want to see what it's like. Alcohol does lower inhibitions. Yes, it does. And I fell in love immediately. I mean, immediately it was like that and just really, really enjoyed it. Not realizing where it was going to take my life years down the road. So you're 18 at this time. I was still 17, 17. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it was uh, 1981, uh, you know, not too long after I graduated and uh, just only did it here and there. Then we got transferred to Phoenix and um, smoked a lot of pot. It was a party town. We worked our butts off in 120 degree weather all day long. And on the weekends, we lived in a house that had a pool. Everybody was over at our house. Kegs every weekend, pot, mushrooms, hash, coke, uh, whatever basically you wanted. And again, it's just something I just did every now and then. Mm -hmm. And uh, once I left construction, I left all that behind. Didn't didn't touch this stuff. Started working for a manufacturing company. 
here in Salt Lake. Some people may know it. Some of your listeners, Huish Detergents, started for them okay. February 7th of 1986. Yeah, I worked in the maintenance department. Long story short, worked my way up the ladder. Next thing I knew, I was in management. Spent three years in Bowling Green, Kentucky, getting a plan up and running more efficiently and training mechanics. Loved my job. However, when I came back to Salt Lake, they just started adding more stuff on. I, I was over the fabric softener department, the fabric softener sheets that you throw in your dryer. I was over that for about six months. Then they threw the liquid department on me, liquid detergent, and then the powder department, and then a few other packaging lines. Oh, wow. Then I ended up being over the parts room. Then I ended up being over housekeeping. Then I was over property maintenance. Wow. Just talked about all the different departments they added on. And I said, that's a lot of pressure. Yes, it was a ton of pressure. The girl that I had met in Kentucky came back to Salt Lake with me. She started working at a car lot and we got talking one day and she goes, Hey, some of the guys that I know invited us to go hang out at the bar with them, you know, if you want to go. And I'm like, yeah, let's, let's go meet some new people. Went to the bar, started meeting these guys. And one of the guys come up to me and he goes, uh, Hey, you do any coke? I says, yeah, I used to. It's been a long time. I haven't, haven't done it for a long time. How many years between when you left Greeley area uh, from from Kentucky, it was it was probably about a year. Okay, so you haven't touched so, it for a year. Okay, yeah, because because uh, I found someone in Kentucky that I did it again every once in a while. Right, Got it, it was just a maybe once a month or once every three months. And so, um, yeah, yeah, I I did some lines with him, and immediately, immediately. Um, Everything, all my pressure about work just disappeared. It, mm. it was gone. Because I lived my job. And I mean, I would come home. That's all I thought about. I worked 13, 14, 15 hour days. And I had projects coming at me from every direction. And for the first time, I literally forgot about work. And again, I didn't realize what it was going to do. Before I knew it, I became really good friends with this guy. And I started calling him up and say, hey, you know, can I connect with you? And he's like, yeah, sure. I only did it on Friday and Saturdays. I didn't do it during the week. Because my job was important to me. I had to stay focused. I had to be on top of things because of all the stuff I had going on. So, yeah, Friday comes. I would work eight hours, get on the phone, call him up figure out a place to meet, go pick up my stuff, go home, do some lines, do my yard work, start drinking. And this new gal that I met at my work, we started dating. And I did Coke every Friday and Saturday night for three years without her even knowing. She knew I was drinking. Right. She had no clue that I was hiding the other stuff from her and, and you, uh, of course you're managing a job you're doing really well at that job so you're thinking there's no harm in this yeah yeah well I always did good at my job right I always had mm -hmm. great evaluations I mean my evaluations through the 24 years I was there were always high always high I mean I would get two to three dollar raises that's unheard of right yeah i mean that's yeah. unheard of and i went from making seven dollars an hour to 36 dollars an hour and you know and the pressure came with it <laughs> well and they needed to keep you because evidently you were running the show <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah it was crazy you know lita what's nuts though is it started getting so bad there were times I would go in the bathroom and look in the mirror and just say, God, please help me. I know if I continue to go down this route, it's 
it's not going to be good. I had let myself go. I always took pride in how I looked. I ended up weighing about 198 pounds, most I've ever weighed my entire life. And I ended up marrying this gal, married in May, May 30th of 2009, walked into work one July, 2009, asked to do a drug test. I said, no, can't go. I've got too many projects going on, can't go. Boss says, okay, you better plan on it tomorrow. As soon as I got home, I was calling everybody I knew. How do you pass a drug test? How do you pass a drug test? Oh, do prune juice. Oh, do pickle juice. Oh, lots of water. Oh, do this. Oh, do that. I did everything everybody suggested. Went in the next day, did my drug test. A week went by, didn't hear anything. Week and a half went by, didn't hear anything. I thought, dang, I did it. I flipped and passed. Two. Two weeks went by, nothing. Like, yeah, <laughs> I got it. I escaped. The one afternoon, right? Yeah. <laughs> one <laughs> afternoon, I'm in my office. It's around three o'clock. I'm having a meeting with my mechanics. I hear security call my manager. And they said, Debbie Mayer, who was the manager of HR, needs to see you in her office right away. All my blood and to my feet. I knew exactly why he was going to go over there. About 20 minutes later, and he said, are you almost done with your meeting? And I said, yeah. And he goes, okay, we'll finish up. And then he goes, then you got to come with me. Mm. Now, I had to do the same thing with some of my employees. Now it was my turn. Right. Went over to HR. They told me that I failed. They were in shock. The reason why it took so long is because they sent it back twice to be retested because they didn't believe it. And they didn't want to believe it. came back positive. Yeah. They didn't want to believe it. You know, so they suspended me. This was on a Friday. I didn't know what to, what to tell my wife. We just got married in May. Month and a half later, Monday comes around. I don't go to work. She's like, why are you not up? I'm like, I'm sick. Second day, Tuesday comes around. I'm sick. Wednesday comes around. She came home from work and she marched her butt right in our bedroom. I still laid in bed. She goes, you get your butt out of bed and you tell me the damn truth. What the hell's going on? Because she goes, I have been with you for over three years. You never missed a day of work. Went in whether you were sick or not. You're lying to me. Right. So I had to put my tail between my legs and told her that I failed the drug test. And she had no idea that you were doing any of that. Now, did she work? That were you still support? Yeah, she was working as well. She was working mm -hmm. as well. But you obviously probably were the, so, you know, being a manager and all of that probably is a significant part of your income. And so you were telling me how yeah. she felt about it. Hey, my paycheck paid the majority of bills, the house payment mm -hmm. and everything else. Yeah, so it was um, it was hard. It was it was really hard. Yeah. How did she feel? Broke her heart. She was finally with a man that had his act together, that held a job, held a job for a long time, made good money, took care of her, treated her with respect, was honest with her. So she thought. Right, right. Yeah. It, it tore her to pieces, which I can see how it would, right? Why wouldn't right. it? Well, you'd lie. And, you know, when somebody lies, you're like, what, how, what other things are they lying about? I mean, that's exactly the problem with secrets, right? Yeah. 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 So about a, a week and a half later, I got called in. Uh, my wife came with me. And the owner of the company had sold it about a year before all this happened. 
because I really do believe if the owner still owned it, I would still have a job. He would have worked with you. However, corporate. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I knew the owner very well, you know, cause I used to talk to him when I was in Bowling Green, he used to come up to me, ask me how things are going and right. he knew me from the Salt Lake plant and stuff. Would have tested you weekly or something so, like that to give you accountability or something. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, they just said, you know, my manager fought for me. The plant manager fought for me. They said, we can't lose this guy. This is all that he's done. He's always had great evaluations, always been a great employee. And they said, no, you know what? We're going to make an example out of him. And they did. Yeah. I lost my job. You lost your job. You know, and it was a blessing. Now you've been with that for how long? So did you lose like your pension or whatever else you've been building up with them? Yeah. So 24 years, uh, they did give me about a month and a half pension. They paid me all my vacation. I had like 900 and something hours of PTO. Cause again, wow. I never called in sick. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, um, I used my PTO to go play golf, <laughs> <laughs> not call in sick. Right. Right. So when they, you got this PPO, yeah. you didn't get your, you only got a month and a half of severance. So you didn't, you lost out on your full yeah. like retirement pension of what you probably would have had, right? Well, I, I had my, I had my retirement, my 401k. Okay. okay. So, so, so was... I didn't, I didn't lose any of that. Yeah. So I, I, I did that, but that's what I survived on for a mm -hmm. long time. You so know, were you still using, and... even though you lost your, your job? I, I freaking stopped. I, I just stopped like that. I even stopped drinking. Yeah, well, that's I, I'm great. like, you know, this. So that's why it was a blessing. I, I lost everything. It was a wake up call for you. Yeah. 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 It was it was a it was a blessing. Also, it changed me. Right. I became I became a total different person because. One of my friends called me, he didn't know why I got fired. He just knew I got fired and he was honest with me. He goes, well, you know. A lot of us around here never trusted you. And that hurt. I'm like, what do you mean you didn't trust me? I never stole from you. I, I you treated your family. I mean, we were the type of co-workers that we were there for the birth of our children, for each other's children, right? We were right. there at birthday parties, barbecues. We supported one another a lot. And for this person to tell me that, it really hurt. And and I called BS on it. And why did he not trust you? Because he and, knew about the drug use or well, no, he didn't he didn't trust me because I was a liar and a manipulator. Mm, and 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 again I, I called BS on it. And I started thinking about it. I had a dad who was very hard on me. And I learned how to lie and manipulate my way around things so I didn't get my butt kicked because I got my mm -hmm. butt kicked for everything. And I, when I say everything, literally everything, even if my brother or sister did something, I'm the one that got my butt kicked for it because I was the eldest and I should have known better to teach them or whatever, right? Wow. So wow. It, was, it was my my fault. So I learned how to lie and manipulate my way around things, not realizing Throughout the years, I was mastering my craft, took it all the way into my adulthood. So, I mean, I could look you straight in the eye and you could ask me a question and I could lie to you. I could, I wouldn't even blink. I could look at you in the eye and just blurt something out like that. You know, it's, it's a tragic story and sadly it's been played over and over and over. You know, my, um, two of my siblings, um, have struggled with addiction. And our home life was, was tumultuous. We didn't get hit very often. My mom was a yeller, you know? Um, and there was a lot of like not food and things like that. But I know that the insecurity of that led my siblings to addiction. And I consider myself an addict who's never been addicted, if that makes any sense. 
you know, because I know that yeah. that gene is in me. And when I um, was given some painkiller for a degenerative hip, um, my son ran out into the street. When I'm on this medication, the dog is, the doctor's given me. My son runs out into the street and it takes me a minute to realize that that's something I need to do something about because my senses were dulled and I was very operational. So, you know, I'm doing my life. No one's looking at me and be like, Lita, are you high? Right. I'm me. I'm fine. And, uh, my son runs out to the street and it just took that split second of my reaction time that I knew was slower than it should have been. And I went off at cold Turkey. I did not go through 10 pregnancies at that time, nine pregnancies to get two children to be high for their childhood. And knowing the price of addiction with my two siblings, I went off at cold Turkey and I laid on the floor for two and a half days in a cold sweat with my kids crawling over me. And I'm like, Oh, I'm an addict. So even though I didn't have the psychological addiction, I didn't have a craving for it. It was not hard for me to not have it anymore. I knew that I had the addiction gene and it ran in my family. And when I had my hysterectomy, I'm like, honey, you're in charge of the pills, you know, just to make sure I didn't over-medicate. Um, I always take less than they allocate for me to take, you know, because I know it's there, even though I yeah. haven't been, um, you know, the, these depths that you're talking about, and I haven't been in a gutter or anything like that, but I've seen my siblings, beautiful, intelligent, full of potential be completely ravaged by addiction. And it's heartbreaking. You know, it's very heartbreaking, you know, and there's so much trauma behind it. Yeah. Right. There's a ton of trauma. I blamed it on the stress of my job. But really, it was I started to how you grew up and what problem solving skills you were given. And in order to become sober, I'm assuming you had to do all of that work, too. Well, you know, really, I didn't. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's what's that's what's crazy. She didn't even understand it, you know, because. When I said I was done, I was done. Now, throughout the years of it, with a lot of other things that's happened, I dabbled in it here and there, but it never grabbed a hold of me again. Mm. You know, I, I could do it and then just say, you know what? I'm, yeah, I don't need this anymore. And what I do you could go, that to I could go another year or months. What, how are you able to do that? Because that's not, I mean excuse my ignorance for addiction, but I, you know, what I've seen is people just get sucked into it. So how were you able to kind of, um, control, control your access to it? You know, that's a really good question that I don't know how to answer. Okay. I mean, well, that's serious, a good answer serious, too. Serious, it's honest. Because I just, I'm able to do it. Right. It's like when I quit smoking, I was on my way to the store to go get a pack of cigarettes and I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Every time I get in the car, I'm grabbing a cigarette, lighting up a cigarette. Every time I'm out talking with somebody, I got a cigarette. And I mean, years ago, I used to smoke in the summer because I all my softball that I played. So I could quit smoking in the summer, but in the winter, I'd start smoking again. I just, I just have that control just to be able to wow. say, I don't need it. And well, if you work with a lot of addicts now. Is that unique? Am I uneducated in, in that? Or is that no. kind of, okay. So that is a unique characteristic that you have, you know, yeah. and I guess that makes me glad it's unique because I don't want people to think, oh, I can, I mean, I know that my brother, um, my parents IQ tested all of us kids, except my one brother with dyslexia. Um, and he, what my brother was the most intelligent of the four of us that were IQ tested. And I think that played into his thinking he could escape the consequences. And I have since heard, you know, from podcasts and things I've read that that is pretty common, that when you're really intelligent, you are in some ways more susceptible because you think you can think your way around it or 
you know, you can manipulate people longer. Yeah. Yeah. Not, I, I mean, definitely. I mean, I'm smart, but I'm, I'm not way up here, you know, mm -hmm. I, I could get around things and, and I can do things and I catch on stuff pretty quickly. Yeah. It's I have just, a sister in law that is probably in the top two of the most intelligent people I've ever known. One was a missionary companion who could memorize a scripture by hearing it one time. So that's an example of using good smarts. She wasn't terribly empathetic, but that's a whole other story. Um, you know, as a missionary, that was a little problematic that she just couldn't quite get that empathy thing, you know, but the other was my sister-in-law, my youngest sibling's wife. And um, she died because of addiction, but she was so good at manipulating. She actually died on two um, forms of marijuana and prescription drugs in her system, um, had a car accident, hit into a building in Colorado, and it burst into, into flames. And when I go and speak about addiction and drugs, obviously, um, you know, I share that because that is like the worst thing that could ever happen to anyone. Yeah. You know, but she was so bright, so good. She had, um, 96 counts of prescription fraud against her. And she was able to talk her way out. She served one night in jail. Yeah. So you she had 96 counts and talked her way out of it. I know how crazy bright <laughs> you have to be to do that. Like if I did that, I would be in jail. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not stupid by any means. You know, I'm the lowest of intelligent of my four siblings, but you know, my one brother is probably genius level. Um, you know, so I'm, you know, average IQ, but man, I, I would definitely be in jail and I'm not a good liar. <laughs> I'm well, a good I used to be I learned. I learned about myself ah. that I'm really good at enabling people um because of how I was raised. And I have worked very hard on myself and fortunately married someone who won't put up with any crap at all. Yes. Um, and so I, if I even try to hint in our early marriage, it went so far over his head that it was, it was pointless. <laughs> so it was, it was very fortunate on my half. So your, your marriage, um, your yeah. wife has been devastated by this. Now she's financially affected by it. What kind of job did you like? You had that 900 some days of PTO, but that lasted for only so long. So what did you do? I made a crazy decision. Yeah. I wasn't going to go back to work for corporate America ever again. Okay. Yeah. And I didn't know what I was going to do. What I did know, Lita, is I hadn't talked to God for a long time. Mm. I knew it was time that I did. Ugh. And I'm not talking religion here. I'm talking spiritual. You can sit in the church and you can sit in the garage. Neither one makes you a Christian or a car. Nope. Nope. And uh, it took me, it took me a while because I was embarrassed to hit my knees in all honesty. Mm -hmm. And I finally did broke down crying. Didn't know what I was going to do. My wife didn't like the idea of me not going back to work. Of course, what, you know, every right to be upset because of the pressures on her, her, and I used the retirement, PTO, all the stuff to keep paying on the house. Instead of really going out and looking for a job, I knew it was time for me to work on me. Because I was not the person who I thought I was at all, not even close. And what my friend told me really tore up my heartstrings, you know, and really opened my eyes. And so I, I didn't know where to start. Did your friend and ever say why just, they didn't trust you? Well, it's just because they just, again, didn't believe anything that came out of my mouth. Right. I was, I was one of those slick. guys. Too slick. Yeah. Got it. I, I was, okay. I was one of those guys, you know, and, and I was always looking for a way to make money too. Right. Mm -hmm. Even though I was making good money, I was still always looking ways for, to make money and, and I could I could pull the wool over someone's eyes if I wanted to to get what I wanted. Cocaine's I was good expensive. At yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So um, I didn't know where to start. I really didn't. And then one day it came to me that, that I've always been physical fit, always cared about what I looked like. And I thought, you know what? My wife had bought me a, a um, a dirt bike. No, well, not a dirt bike, a mountain bike for Christmas. So I'm like, I'm just going to start riding that around the block. So I did. Before I knew it, I was doing a mile. Then shortly down the road, I was doing three miles. Then I was doing five miles. And it really started lifting my spirits. However, she's the one that really got me going. Because right after I lost my job, I went through about two weeks worth of depression. All I yeah. did was lay in bed. Yeah. I can remember it like it was yesterday. I heard her pull the car in the garage, heard her walk in the door. She came in the bedroom, said, what did you do today? I said, nothing. She goes, you get your ass out of this bed. You're better than this. We got a lot of gift cards from our marriage. You're going to paint the living room. <laughs> and I said, hell if I am. And she goes, no. Matter of fact, we're going to go pick a color tonight. And literally, I did not want to go. We went and looked. I was one of those where she's like, well, what do you think about this color? Yeah, whatever. Well, what about this one? I don't care. Whatever. You know, because that's the mood I was in. Right. We finally agreed on a, on a color. And she goes, you're starting tomorrow. <laughs> I said, no, I'm not. Now, did she say anything to well, you? Because your marriage is fairly young at this point. Is she saying, you do this or I'm out? Is is that a threat on the table? Or she's she's in it? That's that was a she's gift. She never she never threatened to leave. She she basically kicked me in my butt, right? And said, mm -hmm. You're better than this. You get your butt going because this is not who you are. She saw a side of me and knew a side of me. Uh, that I knew that was there. I had just mm -hmm. lost it, right? Because I was a hard worker. I was always a hard worker. That give me something to do, man. I'm not afraid of getting in there and getting dirty and getting sweaty. I'll I'll do it. Next thing I knew, I'm up doing a little bit of scraping. Go back, lay in bed. Next day, did a little bit more. Started masking. Next day, started doing a little bit more. And I think it probably took I don't know a couple of weeks before I knew it. Living yeah. room was painted. Well, the truth is, and, if you're depressed, the best thing to do mm -hmm. is to do things. And, you know, it's the, it seems so heartless to tell someone when they're depressed, you're like, well, guess what's going to make you feel better? Everything you don't want to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so true. I mean, that that is a true statement. It really is. Yeah. So I started looking for little things to do to try to bring in some money to help her. And um, heard of Chambers, didn't know what a chamber did. So I, I reached out to the West Jordan Chamber. It's where I grew up. Got involved, started doing some things with them. The lady, Rebecca Deering, who was Craig Deering's sister-in-law, she was such a sweetheart. I said, I, I don't have the funds to join the chamber. And mm -hmm. she pulled me to the side and she goes, I tell you what, you just volunteer your time and let me worry about everything else. Good and I'm her. like, oh my gosh, this is so cool, right? So yeah, I did. And my brother dabbled in concrete. And I said, so what do you want to do with concrete? He goes, I'd like to do this for a living. I said, okay, well, I'll tell you what, I've got the management skills. You know concrete. If you want to start a business, I'll help you. And I says, but you got to be legit. We're going to go legit. So I helped him get his business license. And we got all our insurance. Our, our mom helped us with our logo. She's an artist, helped us with our logo and different things. And I knew some people from the chamber, right, building those relationships. And they really helped us out with some business cards and some flyers. And, and I started helping him do that. It was a long, hard road, a lot of work because he didn't believe in getting a loan to get the equipment. Okay, so you got a loan for the equipment and then you froze. Oh, oh no, we he didn't believe in loans. Oh, didn't believe in getting equipment. Yeah, didn't believe in it. So um, 
the first four years in business, we did everything by hand. We broke driveways and sidewalks and stuff out with sledgehammers. Wow. Two guys, just like on a chain game, hit swing, I'd swing, hit swing, I'd swing. That's People so looked at us out. like, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> People would look at us and go, you know, there's equipment you can use to make your job a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyways, I, I helped him grow that. And it took us about five years. However, what happened while I was working on mine, my wife fell into addiction. She fell into alcoholism. Mm. So it's like we totally, I jumped on her side of the tracks and she jumped on mine. And that started, you know, her past, her traumas, and then me losing my job. We lost our house a year later. Mm. It just, her having the pressure right. of bringing all the money in, right? Right. The consistent money. It just, it just, yep. Yeah. It just added on. It added on things. And it was, it's, it's been a tough road, you know? I mean, the past 14 years hasn't been easy. How we are still together, I just... Because you made a reason. Yeah. You made a commitment. I mean, that's when I asked about, did she say, Hey, this or I'm out. And, you know, early in my marriage, I told my husband, actually we were engaged. There were certain things that if he did, I'd be gone. And he looked at me and he goes, well, I'm marrying you for eternity. And that was really profound to me because I could see that his commitment to what we were, had no conditions and, you know, barring abuse, you know, we were be together and here, you know, I mean, we haven't had to face that, but we faced, um, you know, bearing a child, we faced a lot of miscarriages. We faced some pretty serious health stuff. I mean, every life has, we faced my crazy family. (laughs) I think that's the thing that's been the hardest for him. But, um, you know, when you really make a commitment to someone, it's through thick and thin and the joy of that and the gift of that there's, there can be no one else when you've been through hell together. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's almost like our marriage was doomed, you know, a month mm-hmm. and a half after, because again, I lost my job and then the, right. all the addiction stuff that's happened afterwards right. and all the craziness. And, and, you know, she got to where she couldn't keep a job. Uh, so now the pressure's on me right to keep bills paid and i was doing so many different types of jobs anything that i could bring in money i i was doing um other than becoming a chippendale you know (laughs) or standing on the corner holding a sign (laughs) well good for you You good for you for uh not selling your body (laughs) right 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 yeah yeah i i joke about it sometimes people People ask what I used to do. And I said, well, I used to be a pole dancer, but I had too many concussions. <laughs> like, How do you get concussions from pole dancing? And I said, well, you know, a lot of those gals, they spin upside down. And I says, I could never get the spinning upside down. So I'd fall and land on my head. I ended up having to give it up. <laughs> right, right, right. It's like, yeah. no, that's not going to work. Yeah, it's not going to work. Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been a long, hard road. And And again, you know, at the beginning of the show, I talked about this being a blessing. Yeah. Because I found I found me. Right? I found the person that I always thought I was but wasn't even close. And I got to find who I am and I got to find my strengths and I brought even though I've always been a believer in God I brought him back into my life again. Can I ask a really personal question now? Yes. So, you know, in um, the Bible, it talks about losing yourself to find yourself and using God as the path. Is that what you're describing to me or would you use it in different terms? No, really it was, you know, because I'm not blaming him for losing my job, right? I'm the one that did those actions. However, not being drug tested, 
years and then looking in the mirror and asking him for help mm -hmm. and losing my job. When I do my public speaking, I, I, I kind of say, you know, God has a sense of humor. It's like, oh, no, no, no. This is not what I was talking about by helping me. Right. However, right. he knew I didn't. Right. And it's it's completely changed my life. I had good friends in the past. The people who are in my life to this day, they're some of the most amazing individuals I've ever met. And it was my wife's addiction that helped me start the podcast that gave me the idea. It was her addiction that brought me into the recovery community to where I've gotten to meet some of the most amazing, amazing people I've ever met my whole life. And they have helped me become a better individual. And the blessings that have just come from it has just, I, I can't describe it. I mean, that's why I get emotional talking about it because I can't describe it. It's just one of the most amazing, amazing things that's that's happened in my life. And I just hit 60 in July and I'm going, OK, where do I want to be in the next 10 years? Right. I'm not where I thought I was going to be at this age. Right. Right. And, and you couldn't have any relevance in doing what you've done if it hadn't been for the experience you have. And. I've listened to some of your episodes. They're amazing. They're you're asking real questions. And though I haven't had, you know, the struggle with addiction, I have seen and watched people I love be lost to addiction. And your the way you approach it is real. I'm I'm hoping so, you know, and that's um we have a lot of listeners that will come up to me at a at a recovery event or reach out to me on social media and say, you know, one thing that we love about your show is that it's raw, you know, because I just, whatever it is, it is. And, and you know, what's, what's crazy Lita is I've asked my guests, I've not asked them. They've just done it to be vulnerable. You've just asked them to be vulnerable. To from there. Yeah. Yeah. And told their stories. Right. I mean, they opened up their heart and shared a part of their life that they're not proud of. They right. shared parts of their life, the things that they did that they're definitely not proud of. But it helps. And here I am people. keeping my story. Yeah, it helps. What's other, that? It helps other people. And it's important to understand that there there is no escaping it. The consequences yeah. will come. Yeah, that's 100 percent. 100 percent right. You know, and I wasn't being tr truly honest even on the show about what happened to me. It wasn't until January of this past year is when I finally opened up and shared my story. Mm. Wow. So it's, I, I want to share something real quick with your listeners. Please. It was, it was February, February or March of this year. I'm at work and my daughter, my oldest daughter calls me. She goes, Hey dad, what's up? And I says, I'm just here in Sandy on a job. She goes, do you have a minute? I said, yeah, I have a minute. She goes, I need to talk to you. And she goes, and you're not going to like what I have to say, at least the first part. Ooh. And I'm going, Oh my gosh, where's this going? She goes, dad, when you started your podcast, I wanted to support you 100% because you've always supported me and Ariel. And she goes, on, I got to where I didn't want to support you anymore. And I said, why? I don't understand. She goes, because you always played the victim on your show. You know, my wife's name is Janan. And so she goes, you know, Janan did this, Janan did that. And she goes, dad, you, you, you was a victim. I'm not saying that you wasn't. But she goes, I know your past. Now, my oldest daughter and I are close. She is probably one of the only people in my life I've never lied to. Mm. 
And I've always asked her and her sister to always be up front with me and that I would never get mad at them. I always, I was afraid of my dad. I did not want my kids to be afraid of me. So I promised I would never get upset. I would sit and listen to what they had to say or what they did or whatever without losing it. Right. Right. So she goes, yeah, I'd even tell Rick, which is her husband. She goes, I don't know what to do because I love my dad and I, I just don't want to support him anymore. So she goes, dad, one day I'm in the kitchen and I'm making dinner and I'm going through YouTube and I'm looking for a show. And she goes, I came across your podcast and she goes, the title caught my interest. And so she goes, I played it. And she goes, dad, I, I watched the whole thing and I watched it again. And I watched it again for a third time. This show that she's talking about is the show that my guest didn't show up one day. And my guest co-host and I was sitting in the studio and she goes, what are we going to do? And I took my friend, Dave DeRocher, who is the executive director at the Other Side Academy, downtown Salt Lake. I took it as advice because he told me I would be more powerful telling my story than my wife's story. And so I told my lovely friend, Robin, I said, Robin, today you're the host. I'm the guest. She goes on your show. I says, yeah, you're the host today. And I said, you're going to interview me about my addiction. And my wife walked in half into the studio halfway through and I could see her at the peripheral vision and she just stopped in her tracks because she was like, Oh my gosh, he's telling his story, right? Yeah. So my daughter says, Dad, I am so proud of you. I am so proud that you opened up. And she says, you have my 100% support from here on out. For your kid to tell you that they're proud of you. Right. It means so much when your child tells you they're proud of you, right? Because that's our job. That's our job as parents is to tell our kids how proud we are. Because I didn't get a lot of that as a kid. So I told my daughters all the time how proud I am. I still do. They're in their 30s. I still tell them. My Our grandkids, I still tell our grandkids how proud I am of them after every soccer game, you know, and to have your child tell you that Dave DeRocher was right. When you start opening up and sharing your story, new doors start opening. And that's exactly that door just opened for me right there. God was just like holding it in reserve, waiting for you to be ready. Yeah. Yep. Right. So that's, uh, that's something I love to tell when I do my public speaking and, and, I've not once been able to hold back the tears yet because it, it's coming from here. It's, it just meant so much to me and it meant a lot to her apparently. Right. That's why yeah. she called and said it. to. Me. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that. And it's a great story for listeners and thank you for sharing it and being that vulnerable that the thing that we're holding back on being real with those around us, you know, maybe not everybody's, you know, called to do it on a, a podcast with, you know, all these listeners, but, the value of honesty and the value of being real is the only way you can not only recover, but connect with those people around you. Truly. Yeah. Yeah. That you're a hundred percent right. I'm just, it's, it's crazy. I'm so proud of myself. Right. And as you should be, sometimes I think that's a little crazy to think. No, I, I think, we yeah. are to love ourselves. And it's, uh, you know, as I say, it's he who is poopy, AKA Satan that wants us to feel bad, but you know, God does not be like, well, I'm okay. I'm, you know, I'm like a so, so God, he's pretty confident, you know? And again, this is what I speak on is confidence and resilience and overcoming abuse. But you know, the principle of being able to stand and be like, I am proud of who I am. I like who I am. That is what we're here to discover in this life. And why not glorify God? by owning the miracles and the tender mercies and what we've overcome to find ourselves 
Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it's crazy too. Cause it's like, I tell a lot of my guests, Lita, and you'll hear this on quite a few of my shows. When Jesus started walking around spreading the word, right? Who did he pick as his yeah. disciples? He picked the imperfect ones. He picked the ones that have gone through a lot of stuff in their life. And and I tell my guests, as far as I'm concerned, you're the new disciples. You're here spreading the word. You're out yep. putting out your hand going, I know what you're going through. Let me help you, right? Because I know the path because I've gone it. I've, I've walked it. Right. We and become ministering angels. I get tears from my guests. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. You know, um, because, uh, you know, for years, I never talked about the sexual abuse that I went through because one, I'd done the work that I was okay. But once I opened up about sharing that on a bigger platform, being able to, it gives people hope because I am doing so well and I do have a happy marriage and what was done to me has not impacted me, but for good when all the work was done, you know, and people that are still in the midst of the being victimized or in the survivor phase to know that it can, all things, all things can work for our good is, you know, what the, what the good word is, you know, that's what the atonement of Jesus Christ is all about is anything that's bigger than us can be made whole. Yes. Amen. You, you are a hundred percent right. And I see it all the time and and you've seen it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, literally some of, some of the stuff our guests have gone through, I just shake my head and go, Oh my gosh, if I walked in your shoes, I'd be an addict too. That's why one of our missions is to get rid of the stigma because people don't know what other individuals have gone through. You don't, you don't wake up. My wife did not wake up one day and go, you know what? I'm going to be an alcoholic. Right. I didn't wake up one day and go, you know what? I'm going to do cocaine every weekend. Yeah. And if it hadn't been it for the example happen. of my mother struggling with over-the-counter things, you know, so everything totally legal and the my siblings struggle with um, addiction, I could have been, I would have had a very different life, but I knew the price. You know, and I wasn't going to be an absentee mother. I knew, I knew what that felt like. And I wasn't going to do that to my kids. Yeah. Good, good for you for recognizing it. Right. Cause, but it takes humility. I mean, you know, I I'll tell this to people like, oh, you know, they're like, oh, they're an addict. And I will tell them that little story that I just told you about laying on the floor in cold days. And I'm like, that's addiction. I'm an addict. And they'll just look at me like, no, you're not. Because they have this image of what Hollywood has depicted addicts as. And the truth is, no one's that good looking. You know, you go into a Hollywood town, everybody's incredibly attractive and has all of their teeth. That is not real. (laughs) You know, I have seen real prostitutes and they do not look like Julia Roberts. You know, Um, it's, uh, it's, you know, but that they, we get caught in these ideas And we don't realize that the person walking by us is the trafficker. The person walking by us is the con artist. The person walking by us is needing our help. But Christ did recognize that. He knew when to call people out and when to call people in. Yeah. 100%. You know, and and I want your listeners to know that that person that you see on the street living under a tarp or under the viaduct or I've seen drug deals happen downtown, right? Driving by. And, and with white, white shirts, somebody, and business suit, you know, and ties, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. There's, there's somebody that loves them. There's yeah. somebody that's missing them. Mm-hmm. You know, that's somebody's child. That's somebody's dad or mom. Yet society has got this, you know, this thing that they are worthless pieces of crap. And I tell you what, you meet the people that come on our show, they're not even close to that. Maybe that was a time of their life. But again, it's not who they are. That's the addiction. It's not them. Right. 
Yeah. And I, I just, I just love this message of, um, that we, we are more than what we do and we are more than what we think. And no matter what challenges we have, I mean, that's what you, you're a, what's the name of your program? The resilience. No. So resilience is the studio I used to do the show out of. So the name oh, okay. of my program is AR, the other side of addiction. The other side of addiction. I mean, that's a beautiful thing, but I was going to say about resilience is that resilience is knowing you can't overcome, which is the other side, right? And that when you're in the midst of something saying to yourself, I'm more than this, I can do better. And I love that your wife literally said to you, you're better than this. And, you know, when we enable someone, we really, when we give someone a handout and we enable them, really what we're saying is, I know you can't do it without me. And really it's our ego speaking that I have to fix it for you, you know, and I'm hold, I'm holding my hand up as a recovering enabler that there are people in my life that they, they can't do things themselves. Paying their bills is going to be too much. And I had to step out of doing that for them. And yes, they have crashed and burned. But as long as I was helping them, I was, when I was doing it out of pity, that was unkind. You know, and we have to get to a point where we can say, I'm going to hold you to your best. And that might mean I don't pay your bill and I'm not going to, you know, enable you in your addiction or your bad habits, but I am going to be standing here ready for you when you're ready. What other advice would you give to people on how to handle those in their life with addiction? That, you know, set your boundaries. You have to have your boundaries. You know, I've attended a lot of AA meetings and they they tell people that are going through recovery to have boundaries, pay attention to your triggers, not realizing those on the other side can set boundaries and have triggers as well. You know, right. and one of the biggest things is in, and you did touch on it, Lita, is let them know how much you love them. You care about them, right? They mean everything to you. However, when they're in that different world, you have to keep yourself separate from it. Right. Love is not, you know, because it's depicted validation. Yeah. You know, it's yep. not, af- it's not affirming I mean, people in their choices in their space. It's I love you enough to stand by you, but I, I can't enable you. I can't support this, you know? Yeah. And and I did that for a long time with my wife. I mean, I, I did. I enabled her a ton, a ton. Well, you probably, yeah. you know, because your own um, past with addiction, mm-hmm. you know, it became, it became a dance that the two of you knew to do. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a, it was a shitty dance, if I can say that. <laughs> It was a you terrible can. dance. You can. <laughs> it, it really, it really was. I you say know, poopy uh, a lot. You know, that's okay, my poopy. Word. Well, that's a good one. Yeah. You know, but you know, um, she took, she told me once Lita, I went and picked her up from a recovery center that she was at. And she's telling me all these things that happened. And of course me being a really good counselor as I am not, I started giving her all this advice. I started shouldn't on her, right? You know, mm-hmm. you should do this. And next time you should do that. She goes, will you stop talking just for a second? I said, yeah. She goes, for once, just once, I wish you'd be my husband instead of my therapist. Because you have no clue what I'm going through. Ooh. That was a kick to the groin. Yeah. Did I get it? I still didn't get it. Right. Because all I wanted to do was help her. How can I help someone that I can't even I didn't even know how to help myself during the during her addiction? How can I help her if I can't help me? Yeah. Yeah. So when I do my talks, I like to joke about it. I'm like, you know, I'll hold up a piece of paper, a blank piece of paper. And I said, this is my certificate. I'm an addiction therapist. You notice there's nothing on it. It's because I was really terrible at it (laughs) because I didn't know anything about it. Right. So great. <laughs> I love that. Again, I love the implied humility in that. And and I think, you know, when I ask for advice on how to handle it, what I think it always goes back to is that 
the better we can love like God loves. You know, people always are like, why does God let bad things happen? I'm like, because he loves us enough to let us learn. Yeah. We have to. Yeah. God right. is not a genie How or an enabler. How would life be if everything was happening? Well, it'd be heaven. <laughs> Actually, it'd be heaven. Yes, so not. there'd be no point to what we're learning here. <laughs> and I think that's why we came. But, you know, getting getting spiritual, you know, but it's interesting that every religion that ever exists has similar components. And one, you know, that we are eternal in a sense, and we're here to have a God-like experience, meaning to go through something difficult. And then there's a redeeming God. You know, in my belief, that is, you know, Jesus Christ. But in every, you know, Hinduism, Buddhism, all of these different systems, there is a redeeming God and there is a purpose in pain and it's to learn. And, you know, they have different paths for it, right? You know, and Christianity, we don't have like a, what we call that, but I can't think of any in the moment. But most religions have like this it's this path, you know, it's like we're all going on the hike to Squaw Peak and this is what it's called. And it's going to be hard and you're going to huff and puff. But when you get there, the view's amazing. But for now, we suffer. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, well, well and, yeah. What were you going to say, Al? Oh, I was just going to say. Yeah, we 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 have to. You know, uh, I'm a firm believer now, Lita, that there's no finish line when it comes to bettering ourselves. I will I will continue Preach to work it. on myself until the day God calls me home. Because just because I think I've got something in my grasp, God has definitely let me know I don't have anything in my grasp. Well, and the truth is, so as we're eternal beings, I believe yes. we're always going to be learning. And that's exciting because yeah. I'm not good at playing the harp. Yeah. <laughs> me, me neither. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Al, thank you so much for being so real and vulnerable and humble. And just like I knew you would be, you would bring it. And I appreciate you being on this episode. Is there any final thoughts you'd like to share? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, something that I say on my show quite a bit. You know, allow yourself to feel the feelings, whatever's happening to you in your life. It's it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to be depressed. It's okay to be upset. God gave us all these emotions for a reason. Yep. The, the trick of the game is just don't get yourself stuck there. Allow yourself to feel whatever feelings that you need stand back up dust yourself off and keep moving and don't believe you're the only one that's going through it because you're not there are thousands of people around the world going through exactly what you're going through and a lot of my guests I tell you what I mean they've come from the depths of you know where and to see who they are today and it's because they believe. Believe in yourself. Believe in a higher power, whether for me it's God, for you it could be something different. Doesn't matter as long as it works for you. You just keep going, keep learning, keep smiling, share love, share kindness. My new thing that I'm working on, instead of asking somebody how they are today, my new thing is, how's your heart feeling today? Ooh, I love that. So I'm, I'm working on saying that a lot more. I love it. Well, in the deaf culture, if you ask somebody how they're doing, they'll tell you about their bowels or who knows what. So it's a dangerous <laughs> question, that culture. That so, is. Yes. I like yours a lot better. I like yours a lot better. <laughs> um, Dave you. Ramsey has the thing of, you know, when people ask him how he's doing, he's like, better than I, you know, better than I deserve, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, Al Richards, thank you so much for being on this episode of share your hotness and there'll be contact information for those of you who want to follow Al's podcast and his journey. That's so inspirational and those that he brings onto his um, podcast, you'll be able to follow that in the show notes. So thank you again, Al. Thank you.